You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, we are continuing with our series in Luke. Uh, on the life of Jesus, and we've taken uh, last Sunday, this Sunday, and the following Sunday uh, to be considering his uh, sermon on the plain, this sermon that uh, seems to be a complement to uh, Matthew's recording of the Sermon on the Mount. And so you get these, uh, in both Matthew and Luke, these extended teaching of Jesus, uh, his ethical uh, demands for the people of God. And so uh, they've been... uh, They've been something Christians for many centuries have looked at and contemplated because, uh, we, yes, we, we focus on Jesus' life naturally, but uh, here we do. We have the Lord Jesus himself teaching us. And so it's good to meditate upon what it is that he has to say for us. And so we come now to our sermon text, which is verse 27 of chapter 6 all the way to verse 42. And Jesus, you'll remember, he has come down off uh, a mountain. Uh, He has just uh, appointed his 12 apostles. Uh, He is just now uh, speaking to his disciples, giving them these blessings and woes, and now he continues his teaching uh, by saying this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he, has be, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Well, as we come to this uh, passage, um, this, like I said, long extended section through chapter 6 of Jesus' 
uh, teaching about uh, really kingdom ethics. Uh, you can see even in these uh, two uh, sections here that we're looking at this morning, these could be broken down even further uh, into more subsections of sermons that could be preached uh, probably even on just one passage. I mean, there's so much here as Jesus is teaching and telling his disciples and by virtue of that us today, how we are to live as Christians. And so as we, we look at this this morning, I just want you to be thinking, what if the, the promise that I made this morning was that this sermon would give you four steps to live a, a better, fuller, and more meaningful life? That, that inside this text, there were four steps that Jesus is giving you in order to live a better life. Now, that might make you more attentive. That might make you think, well, surely there's a bait and switch coming. I'm not sure what you'd be expecting, uh, simply because I know that Tim and myself generally do not preach sermons about four steps to this and five steps to that. Though I do think Tim's sermon this evening is one step for a happy marriage, which is don't call your wife your sister and give her to a foreign king. That, I think, is wise marital advice. But as we come to this text, I do believe Jesus truly is telling us four steps that we can have to have a better, more meaningful life. This is not normally the, the sort of health and wealth and prosperity of this is how to gain all of these riches or solve all of your relationship problems, but rather this is a call to radical and serious discipleship. Because you have to remember that the one who is speaking is the one who actually did live a perfect life. And Jesus is calling us, as you can see throughout, to, to be those who follow him. And we often look at Jesus' life, and yes, we recognize that it was a perfect life, but we often think of that perfection as, well, he just didn't sin. And that is certainly true. But if you think of Jesus' life and the way that he lived, would we say that he lived a life that was happy and fulfilled? If you think about that just for a moment, would Jesus consider his life to be a life that was worth living and that fulfilled him completely? And if that's the, the perfect man living the perfect life, calling us to then follow after him, right? then that means this is incredibly just simply interesting to think what is it that Jesus would be telling us. But I think we can also just try to, I, I think we can understand that desire to have a meaningful life. Right? I think we know that if we dedicated our life to binge watching you know, the latest things that come on Netflix or the streaming services, that by the end of your life, you would assume that that probably was not the best use of it. Right? We, we desire for our life to have meaning. And so Jesus here tells us how to live that meaningful life. And he gives us these four steps, which are simply this. He says, uh, and the first step is to love like him, to love like Jesus in uh, verses 27 through 36. And then he tells you how to uh, give like Jesus and then forgive like Jesus. And finally, he ends on live like Jesus. So love, give, forgive, and live. Well, you'll notice the way that Jesus speaks uh, at the beginning here. He speaks of how to love like Jesus. He gives these very, uh, if, if you will, uh, very difficult words at the beginning. To love your enemies in verses 27 through 28. To love your enemies. And think about how difficult that is. In reality, I'm sure all of us would ascribe to or say that, yes, we attend, intend to love our enemies. 
But if you're anything like me, those enemies are probably just figments in your imagination. They're not real, actual people who are causing you real, actual problems. But those are precisely whom Jesus has in mind here, is, is real people causing you real problems. I mean, look at how he goes on to say, bless those who curse you. Someone speaking uh, badly of you, calling down curses from heaven upon you. For those who abuse you, for those who strike you on the cheek, whether this is a, a punch across the face or, or just a hard slap in the face, or those who would take away even your clothing. I mean, he clearly has in mind real people causing real harm. And Jesus is also the one saying these things as he's heading towards the cross. I mean, think about the way in which he suffered even before his actual crucifixion. He was struck repeatedly. He was given a, a crown of thorns. He was spat upon. He was mocked. He was cursed. And so the one saying, love your enemies, is the very one whose entire life was lived loving the enemy. Loving the enemy. And note, too, what Jesus is, is speaking of here, that in the face of evil and wickedness, Jesus really paints for us a, another way, a, a way in which to turn from a, a satanic retribution to a way of, of showing the world love, showing the lo world love. And no, note that Jesus' love is, is much more powerful than what we mean by love. Usually we mean by love is kind of a live and let live attitude. Jesus is not speaking about everyone just getting along. Jesus is speaking about a full transformation. I mean, think about what we've read up to this point. When Jesus finds broken and poor people, he transforms them, whether it's forgiving of their sins and restoring their relationship to God, or whether it's physically healing them so that they'll be whole, these great pictures of Jesus' love made manifest. Jesus came out of his love. For people. Think about Levi sitting at the tax booth. Jesus calls him out of his sin. Levi repents, and now Levi sees tangibly this love that Jesus has for him and follows after him. So Jesus speaks very poignantly that we are to love others. Because again, we must just imagine what it was like to see Jesus' love in action in the way that would have been transformative to people around him. Or the ways in which we've seen that love carried out through church history with, with, with martyrs dying and not returning evil for evil. And so Jesus then picks up in verses 29 through 30 that we are to actually return good for evil. It seems as if there was this proverb uh, that was really going around in which you just want to do evil to other people. So it was, it was basically what Jesus is saying here, but framed in a, a negative capacity. Whereas Jesus has taken what possibly is this common proverb and turned it around. So no longer is it just, well, as long as you, are, you aren't hurting this person, you're doing okay. But actually what Jesus is saying, no, it actually goes further than that. You're to actually do good to others. And with no expectation of return. I think oftentimes we think, I'll do good to this person but I'm expecting something back. But Jesus has come in order to do good to others with nothing that could be expected for them to be returning to him. 
Again, I mean, just again, think of who is saying these words. This is the son of God, the one who has a myriad of angels at his command, the one who is there before creation, the one who is now standing upon the earth, and there's not a single person that can pay him back or do anything for him. And so Jesus is, is calling us. He's calling us to return good for evil. And again, Jesus, who was crucified, and yet from that spanned this immense good throughout the rest of the world. That Jesus is saying, like he is, be, be looking for something greater, looking for something more meaningful, something with more purpose that can even transcend the giving of your life. And then he ends this first section of love like Jesus with verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them also. This is where he seems to be saying, uh, what about all those edge cases? Well, how do I deal with everyday life? How do I interact with everybody I see? Is there something easy for me to remember and how I'm to show forth Christ's love. Well, then Jesus just gives this very simple phrase, but it's incredibly poignant, isn't it? As you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. Not just don't harm people, but do good to them, bless them, with no expectation of return, as we'll see. And so Jesus, who has demonstrated this love for the outcasts, for difficult people, then even moves this from that to the very enemies that would seek to do you harm. I mean, think about how this would work out today. I mean, today we, we live in a world that seems to be very divided. We, we live in a world where there seems to be, uh, at, at minimum, two conflicting worldviews that seem to be constantly at war with each other, right? We have the, the biblical worldview. There are two sexes. <laughs> that marriage is between a man and a woman. And then there's a competing worldview that denies all of these things. And this other worldview doesn't just want a seat at the debating table, does it? This other worldview would seek to, to silence any competing viewpoints. And what is our response to be to that? What is the response of Christians to that? Because certainly the other side is very rarely loving, is very rarely forgiving. And if you've seen any of these debates, especially if you've seen online, these debates can unfortunately become very vitriolic, even with Christians. Right? But Jesus says there's actually another way. That way is to love, truly, your enemy, to pray, to be the one who turns the other cheek, and to treat them as you would desire to be treated. I mean, think about that. Think about what that would look like in this world, coming up against these hostile viewpoints and Christians acting like Christ. That doesn't mean we accept it. That doesn't mean we, we, we bow to it. It doesn't mean we do all any of these things that Jesus would tell us not to do, but it does mean that there is a character and a way in which we are to act and behave as Christians, and that is to be like Christ. Then Jesus gives us his second step. He says, give like Jesus in verses 32 through 36. And I think he, he's beginning this by, by saying, how do we learn to value others? Right? Isn't that where, where love really 
stems from. It stems from that there's a value that you've placed upon another person or thing. And so you, you love this thing. You love this person because it is valuable, whether it's just your own children or a corgi at home right now. You, you love these things because they have, they have value to you. But Jesus is trying to turn that on its head by saying to, to love regardless of value. I mean, think about the way in which Jesus loved others, right? Jesus really could not have anybody repay him. Jesus loved those who were absolutely beneath him, right? The king of glory, the eternal son of God. Again, literally, there's nothing you and I could ever do to repay Jesus or to make him look at us as valuable, in and of ourselves. Right, the, the world seems to say, if you're valuable, then you'll be loved. What you can provide to me is the basis for which I will love you. Whereas what Jesus is saying, right, I love you, and because of that, you're valuable to me. And I mean, in the first century, Christians were known as those who cared for widows, for orphans, for abandoned children, even caring for the dead of others. So much so that they, we have writings from uh, pagan like philosophers speaking to the, their shame over the way Christians are treating others. Just fascinating to read these things. And so Jesus says we, we learn to value others. We, we learn to love them regardless of their value to us. We love like Jesus loved. And then he says, love because you desire a reward in verses 33 through 34. And as I've read this over this week, this to me is one of the most interesting parts of the text is the use of reward as, a, as an incentive to do these things. If you were to go through your text today in your sermon sheet and just highlight the words credit, reward, and the ways in which Jesus seems to say, doing these things, uh, it, you are to do them because of this great joy that you will receive, this great blessing that you'll receive. And actually, think about Jesus' own life. What did, Jesus, what did Jesus desire in his life? I mean, he, he was seeking a reward, wasn't he? He was seeking a kingdom. He was seeking to please his father. He was seeking a people. And again, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus went to the cross because of the joy set before him. Ephesians speaks of this love that the father has for us before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus is really trying to incentivize us, if you will, but with actually true incentives true blessings, true and greater treasures than this world has to offer. And then he speaks finally here in this uh, second step of be merciful because you belong, verses 35 and 36. He says, love, do good, lend, and not for what mere humans could give you back. But he's actually speaking of be merciful, be those who are generous with time and money because of what your heavenly father can do. And you will be rewarded. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high. 
for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And what Jesus, I believe, is driving at here is that that type of Christ-like action in our life where we imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and then go forth acting like him is a way in which it, it confirms in us of which kingdom we belong to. Right? If, we, if we belong to Christ's kingdom, if we truly belong to Jesus Christ and our hearts are truly changed by the Holy Spirit, then we would go forth acting in a manner consistent with that. And Jesus says then the more you act that way, the more you're confirmed and showing that you belong to me. I think what he's just driving at is that the more we seek after holiness, the more we have our, strength, faith, uh, our faith strengthened. And so we, we have uh, the way in which Jesus tells us to be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. It almost, again, sounds like the golden rule here reapplied now by saying go forth showing mercy, not because you desire to have mercy shown to you, but rather because you have been shown mercy already. That you, are, you and I are our cosmic traitors against the God of the universe, and yet for some reason... He has decided not to destroy you. He has shown you abundant mercy each and every day of your life. And because of that mercy, we can then go be merciful to other humans, certainly. And so how do we, how do, we do this? I mean, obviously, this is not a, a way in which we are to be saved, but this is now by the power of the Holy Spirit and actually the same Spirit that was dwelling in Jesus. We go forth as, as new people advancing this gospel in whatever capacity is needed. Whether that's giving to others, whether that's the giving of your life, whether that's loving others and loving the unlovable and showing mercy to those who do not deserve it. And much of what Jesus has already said here, the, the focus is seeing the kingdom of God advance. And then again, just the privilege that means that you are a part of God's kingdom advancing through the world, the strongholds of Satan being toppled over, that you are the ones that are pushing forward this great and glorious kingdom. That sounds like a meaningful life. Well, then Jesus also then continues to say, you should forgive like me, forgive like Jesus in verses 37 through 38. Now, this comes, this comes to a fascinating verse that, on the one hand, could be read one way, which would then lead us to what I think is a wrong conclusion. Uh, this verse says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, the world seems to take that and use that and to say, well, you are not allowed to judge others, meaning you're not allowed to make a moral um, claim against what other people do and say. And really, what, what, if we were to read this, one way you could read this as being said, as long as you never judge anyone, as long as you never condemn anyone, well, then you will not be condemned and judged by God. And in other words, if you can at least do this throughout your whole life, you'll get a free pass to heaven. All right, that, that's what it would be saying on the surface of it if you were to pull this verse out of its context and out of the life of Jesus. And so I don't believe that Jesus is saying that. In fact, I know he's not saying that. So then what is Jesus saying? I think the, the good one, the good part, the easy part is the last part of verse 37. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
In Matthew, we have this following the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me as I forgive others. That again, we're called as those who are forgiven to forgive others. Again, to, to put uh, these into proportional, uh, to really highlight, I guess, for us what it means when we're sinned against versus what it's like when we have sinned against God. I always remember a, an illustration. I think it was, was R.C. Sproul was speaking about the ways in which we, um, the proportional response that happens. Uh, for instance, if you step on an ant, nothing's going to happen. If you take a shot at the prime minister, there's going to be something that's going to happen. Right? It matters who you offend. And if you offend the holy God of the universe, there are going to be consequences. And Jesus is here saying, he has forgiven you. So now you can forgive others. But what about judging? What, what does Jesus here mean by judging and condemning? I think in context, I think what Jesus is trying to get us to see is to not have a, a double standard in the way that we interact with others. And also to have a, a, a spirit in us that, for instance, judges others in terms of their fitness for the kingdom of God, right? Of passing judgment on other people that they cannot be saved or they cannot experience God's mercy. Because Jesus says this in John's gospel, that he came into this world not to judge it, not to condemn it, but to save it. Now, clearly, Jesus also is the judge, of the world, and all human beings will stand before him at one day, and he will judge them. But he has come into this world in order to save it, the very thing that is absolutely the opposite of him, and coming to save us sinners. And so I believe Jesus here is, is saying twofold. One, anyone can be saved. That's why Jesus came into this world. But he's also speaking about the ways in which we, we should not be using double standards, right? It all comes back to that, right? If we think someone cannot be saved or we don't share the gospel with them, we don't show love to them, what does that say about us and the way in which we think and view and, and look at other people? So Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and he calls us to do the same. And again, we, we end up with another statement here near the end. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Right? The way you view others, he seems to be saying that's the way you'll be viewed. But also he then gives this, again, another statement of blessing, a reward in verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. Another statement here, it seems to be of reward, of incentivizing us. Uh, J.C. Ryle said of this verse, he said, no man shall be a loser in the long run. Meaning that following after Christ is, is not the lesser, but actually the most blessed way to live your life. Really, again, it seems to be that Jesus is just saying, invest your time wisely. Invest in things that actually generate a real meaningful return in your life. Right? And so Jesus is just asking, how do we, how do we view others as unredeemable? I mean, do we just have an overemphasized view of ourselves as if Jesus needed us? Jesus, the rightful king, 
right? And we see throughout Luke's gospel, right? He, he came for prostitutes, for Pharisees, for soldiers, for tax collectors, for priests and Samaritans, and yes, even those who are outside the covenant promises of God, Gentiles. Gentiles sinners. And so finally, we have uh, Jesus' last step, step four, to live like him, to live like Jesus in verses 39 through 42. He, he begins by uh, this parable of a blind man leading another blind man. You can almost think of the, the picture here. It's as if there's this blind man who is offering tours. And another blind man comes to him and says, yes, I would like to follow you on one of these tours. It seems very unwise to follow. And that, that, what, he's, what he's driving at here is just the ways in which teachers were leading their students. I mean, just again, imagine going to an airline service and picking the one that has the blind pilot. Right, Jesus is saying, who you choose to follow certainly has consequences. Right, and what he's, he really is speaking about, the Pharisees, who are, are gathered around, likely also listening to this as blind guides who are leading their people straight to hell. Jesus says, actually, what you should be doing is choose a teacher who you'd want to be like. Look at verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Right? That was actually the ultimate point of this uh, discipleship uh, relationship, that the teacher taking on a disciple, the disciple wasn't just to learn from their teacher, that that was a huge component of it, but was to eventually act like his teacher so that they were to emulate the teacher's lifestyle just as much as the teacher's teaching. Right, we, we know that, right? Our words are just as important as how we live. Right, and actually being the one up here preaching right now, that's probably the scariest thing I can think of. Right, there, there is plenty of times, and we've seen even recently, that people can speak theologically correct truths and live lives that don't match them. May it never be said of us. And finally, Jesus concludes in verse 42 with what seems to be almost another parable, but you get this almost wonderful picture of hypocrites helping hypocrites. You have this picture of a, of a man who has a, a log in his eye trying to go to his brother to help him remove a, a dust speck. It actually reminds me of a time, and I asked Laura permission to share this story. She said she was fine with it. But there was a time where Laura was actually cutting up uh, habanero peppers to make in a meal. Um, and she wasn't wearing gloves, and so she got the oil on her hands and then touched her eyes. She had contacts at the time. And um, if anyone who's ever done that with regular peppers, habaneros, I can assure you, are even hotter. Um, and so at that moment, right, it would have been foolish and silly for her to then comment on the small dust that I've gotten in my eye. Right, at that moment, if she had said, well, my concern right now is that there's a little itch in your eye and we should really deal with that. No, actually, at that very moment, it was everything she could do to figure out how to get the contact out of her eye. I even offered to take it out for her, but she said that was not what was going to happen. Eventually, she did uh, clear out her eye and, and was, was okay. But this whole passage, right, is about dealing with yourself first. 
In a sense, if you've got a literal log in your eye, you might be past needing to go to A&E. But Jesus is speaking really about church discipline here, that its proper beginning starts with self-discipline. It starts with self-discipline. And once that self-discipline is taking place, then you can go forth being a great blessing to help others. Again, note that the way Jesus speaks here, that it's the removal of the log that then allows the brother to go forth to remove the speck. And just think about when you get something in your eye, it is pretty miserable, even if it's not habanero peppers. It can be pretty bad when you've got something in your eye and you want to get rid of it. And Jesus, Jesus has now this really, I think, wonderful picture of sinners helping sinners. Because thus far, Jesus has been calling us to act like him. But in verse 42, this is the one thing Jesus can't do. Jesus has no need for self-discipline. He has no need to correct himself before he can correct others. This is given here at this section to really remind us of Jesus' perfection, but also just to remind us of, of why he gave us one another. And so step four, Jesus is really speaking about direction. We need direction in our life, right? We all need to follow after someone, and regardless of if you choose or not, you will follow. Whether it's the world, like these blind guides, they don't know where they're going. Yeah, I think all of us uh, can testify to the fact that, well, maybe not, but when I was younger, I used to think my parents knew what they were doing. Now that I'm a parent, I can see the terror in their eyes, right? They had no idea what they were doing. They just played it cool. Right, so we, we need someone to help us. And think about who Jesus has put before us as himself. Right? Jesus is the one who has gone before us. Jesus is the one who has faced temptation and overcome it. Jesus is the one who has come in order to set us free. And only Jesus actually knows where he's going and has gone already, and has defeated death. And so Jesus is saying, ultimately, pick the right person to follow. And so simply, we come to this text to really just say, reflect on, on how to love like Jesus, give like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, and ultimately live like him. Knowing that by faith, we will. We will be like him. Again, just as we close here, note that when a disciple is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. That should be encouraging for us, even as this is a, a difficult text and what it demands on us. But pursue and fight the good fight, knowing that Jesus is with you, working in you, and will perfect you one day. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K for more.